0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 35 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Grisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Today's show, Thursday Night Football Preview, listener questions. Let's go. keep dropped the ball! Hakeem uh-huh. dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? We'll what we about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel They are who we thought they were. Let him on the hook. Playoffs. I just hope we can win a game. It's a quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. I cannot win with him. I cannot coach with him. I can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep attriculating the ball down the field. I boy. saw. It, son. I saw. I saw. Hello. You play to win the game. Hartley. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Devonta Freeman. Signed with the New York Giants right after I published yesterday's Waiver Wire podcast because, of course, and I did mention to make speculative bids on Freeman anyway because it was foreseeable that he'd be signed by New York. I thought San Francisco was also in play, seeing that Freeman has played under Kyle Shanahan before, knows the system, and they had running back injuries there as well with Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. So I put some bids in for Freeman in the few leagues knowing that he would be a giant at that point and I actually ended up with DeVonta Freeman on a few teams and nothing nothing egregious here like I bid 33 fab dollars out of 150 in a 14 team league and then I bid another $30 and again this is fab money in another, on another 12 team league where it was a $150 budget so I was kind of surprised to get him you know when I woke up the next morning I was pretty surprised that I landed him on two teams with only spending about, I think it was 25% of my budget. And then that was quickly, those great feelings were quickly thrashed when about an hour later, the first blurb that I see is Jordan Renan, who is a longtime Giants beat writer, his blurb saying that Deion Lewis is actually the running back to roster for fantasy, for the New York Giants and not Freeman. And I somewhat disagree with Jordan Renan there, although I really do respect his work. And my logic is that I don't think they would have reached out to Devonta Freeman and paid him $3.5, $3 million, whatever they ended up paying him. I don't think they would have done that if Dion Lewis was their guy. I think that they, believe, the Giants believe that this is a clear upgrade over Wayne Gallman, who's going to be the early down runner. And this was an immediate signing as well. This wasn't something where the Giants just kind of looked at their team. They're like, ah, all right, I guess we'll just go look at some free agent running backs. Okay, we'll have a couple try out. Yeah, I guess we'll take Freeman. No, this wasn't that. This was Saquon Barkley got injured. They knew the extent of the injury. And then the next day, they are immediately bringing in Devonta Freeman. And Freeman, you know, he may be washed. And he wasn't effective last year as a three-down back. And I get the logic that, you know, if Saquon Barkley couldn't run behind this crap offensive line, then Devonta Freeman may be nothing. I get all that. But I think there's enough uncertainty there and enough of a role just to take a chance here. I don't think Deion Lewis is that good. And he may get the variety, he may get most of the passing down work, but Devonta Freeman is a very capable pass catcher. He- and I just don't know how valuable that Falcons opportunity was. We're seeing Todd Gurley and other running backs in Atlanta not really thriving in that system. I think that there, it might be a situation where this offense for Atlanta is just so geared towards the pass, and the entire offense just goes through the pass, and the running backs just aren't really set up for success. Maybe it's a blocking thing. We, don't, we really don't know. Now, I think it's obviously possible that Devonta Freeman and Todd Gurley, it's just the running backs that are just washed. I mean, that could definitely be the case. But I think there's uncertainty there. We don't really know if Freeman is washed. We don't really know how much time and effort he's put into conditioning and how much time it will take to learn the playbook. But I think the Giants fully expect him to be the lead back within a couple of weeks. And to me, having the lead back on a team is, unless it's like the the Jets, is pretty valuable, especially if you know Freeman can catch passes. And I think Freeman also has a chance to get goal line as well. So even though Deion Lewis will definitely be used as a pass catcher as well, Freeman, I think a potential three down back in the best case scenario out of that. And I'm not saying, you know, Freeman's going to come out there and just be this workhorse running back and it's, he's just going to be a steal. I don't know, but I thought it was worth 20 25% of your fab budget to really find out just seeing as all of the other running back injuries are just kind of the devastating the landscape there at running back. So I think in the long run having a starting running back even if even if it is for the New York Giants would be pretty valuable. And honestly, I just thought that more people were going to spend more money of their fab money on Devonta Freeman. So again, I was I didn't expect to get him in any league and the two leagues that I needed running backs the most, I put in like a 25, 20% bids of my fab budget, and then in other leagues I put like a you know a $10 bid in there, and I didn't get him on those leagues. How much? How much did Mike Davis go in your leagues? How much? What did people spend on Mike Davis in your leagues? I'm really curious about that. It was all over the place in my leagues, like just totally off the walls in some, and then other leagues I just thought people got them for really cheap. And I couldn't decide who to spend more fab on. I mean, I think you can make an argument both ways. Mike Davis, probably going to be better than Devonta Freeman, like more points per game. I feel pretty confident in that. But it's only a short-term fix. Like Christian McCaffrey, probably going to come back in week six, week seven. So Mike Davis is really only a short-term fix. And that really came down to me is, do you need Mike Davis to start for your teams right now? And if you did, like maybe you lost Christian McCaffrey, you don't have good backups. If you need Davis to start for your team right now, then yeah, I could see spending over 50% of your FAB budget on Mike Davis. I do think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be a three-down back. But if you have other running backs to get you through and you're trying to think long-term here, then maybe Freeman's the better buy for that situation. So I put similar bids on both of them. And in some leagues, I had Davis, me bidding more for Davis. In some leagues, I had me bidding a little bit more for Devonta Freeman. Neither I spent above 35% of my FAB budget in either of them, but I ended up not landing Mike Davis in any of my leagues, and he went for about 50% in most of my leagues, 50% of the FAB budget, and in one league I'm in, mean, he went for 100%. We have a $100 free agent auction budget, and one guy spent $100 on Mike Davis. I think the cheapest I saw him go was, I think, $39 out of 150 there might have been like a $25 bid in there, but I don't know. He was he was all over the place. But I think on average, it was probably about 50 60% of the budget. So I think that was what it took to get Mike Davis. Uh, the other player I ended up a lot with is K.J. Hamler. And I was only putting like $1 bids for K.J. Hamler. But apparently now he's one of my favorite players in the entire league because I ended up with him on like three or four of my seven competitive season-long leagues. And in two of those leagues, he ended up replacing Jalen Rager, who got hurt. And we'll actually, let's get to some news real quick. We'll go over some fantasy news. And I guess I'll start with Jalen Rager here. He is out indefinitely with a UCL tear in his thumb. And it seems somewhat similar to the injury that Drew Brees had last season when I think he missed, I don't know, what was it, seven games, maybe six games that Drew Brees missed. And Jalen Rager... Week 9 is the early projection on when he will be back. So, yeah, pretty similar injury there. He's out indefinitely. But week 9 is kind of the target date I've heard. And there is surprisingly a lot of mouths to feed in Philadelphia. There was. Like Miles Sanders was coming back. The two tight ends are getting at least eight targets a game, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. And you mix in Miles Sanders in there and you mix in that Boston Scott is when he's on the field, he's usually getting targeted like that's where his touches come from. And Deshaun Jackson, and there was also Jalen Rager, whose role was expanding as a rookie. And DJX, he hasn't really got it going yet, but maybe this could be the injury that kind of sparks things for him. I think it kind of helps. It's a little uptick to Miles Sanders and the two tight ends and DJX. It makes their target share more concentrated, more narrow, and that's good. But that will all be shot when Alshon Jeffrey returns. And according to Eagles beat writer, Ruben Frank, Alshon Jeffrey is close to returning. So if you have an IR spot on your teams, you can go ahead and pick up Alshon Jeffrey and see if he has anything left in the tank. And it won't cost you anything because you can just plug him in or place him on IR if you have an IR spot. If you don't, it's probably not worth adding him. Maybe more of a wait and see proposition to where you just see if he has anything left. And then you can add him as you see fit. So more fantasy news. Sterling Shepard placed on short-term IR. That means he will have to miss at least the next three games. And Sterling Shepard, he exited early in Week 2, I think in the second quarter, along with Saquon Barkley. So without those touches, I think this gives more opportunities to Darius Slayton for sure. Golden Tate has returned. I think he's worth a roster spot in 12-team leagues for sure, so go, go make sure he's not on the waiver wire. And then Evan Ingram, right? This is definitely a boost to Evan Ingram, who is getting the targets but not doing much with them. But I think that this target share is Definitely more narrow as well as the Eagles where now for Daniel Jones and company without Saquon Barkley, without Sterling Shepard, at least for the temporary time being, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, Golden Tate are going to be prominent players in that passing game. And this is a team that's going to be passing often because I just talked up my logic on spending some fab money on Devonta Freeman. But the truth of the matter is the Giants are not going to be able to run the ball as much and as well as they would have with Saquon Barkley. So this is probably good news for the fantasy outlooks of Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, and Golden Tate. So Christian McCaffrey placed on short-term IR. That means the earliest that he can return is Week 6 in Chicago. That's against Chicago, I'm saying. And we'll talk about him later in the show. I actually am getting a lot of trade questions about Christian McCaffrey. And I definitely want to hit some listener questions later on in today's episode. So Julio Jones, hamstring injury. And Dan Quinn said that this injury was a little more than Julio has been letting on. He's been reported on the injury report with this hamstring injury. He's missed some practice time. But a lot of people just thought, including myself, that earlier last week, when he's missing like Wednesday, Thursday practices, that it was probably just a maintenance day for Julio Jones. I mean, he does that. He's always dinged up and plays through it. But this is not good that Dan Quinn is saying that Julio Jones has a hamstring injury that is more than he's letting on. And I think that means giddy up for Russell Gage, right? Like, if you were able to get Russell Gage Gage for cheap in free agency last week or maybe even this week, then definitely stock up for Russell Gage. It's possible. I mean, the way it sounded to me is that Julio Jones, it's not a certainty that he's going to play this week. I mean, they might want to get that hamstring right. And he could miss this game against Chicago this week. So just keep an eye out. On that, and if Julio Jones does miss time, I think Russell Gates absolutely should be in starting lineups, especially for PPR formats. So Justin Herbert, you probably heard about this on ESPN. He's named the starter for Week Three, and that's good for the Chargers. But the thing I'm talking about here is Terod Taylor had his lung punctured by the team doctor. Enemy down. Wait, that was one of ours. When they were giving him a pain killing shot for his rib injury. No way! I don't believe it! And yeah, that's a real story. And, you know, I tweeted the other day, you know, after center Mike Pouncey was ruled out for the entire season, he's undergoing hip surgery, and they've already lost Derwin James, like one of their best players for the year, and that was in training camp. And I tweeted that, you know, every offseason, I think that the Chargers will have positive health regression next season. Like, because they're always one of the most injured teams in the league. And every year I'm like, okay, well, the Chargers are going to, they're not going to be as hurt this year. So I project them to be better. Like, their fantasy outlook should be better. And every year they just get ravaged by injuries. Like, they do not have any positive health regression every year. Like, defies the laws of averages there. So I tweeted, you know, when is it time to start reevaluating their team trainers, their workout routines, their diets, their medical staff? and that's exactly what I tweeted, and then this happens with the medical staff. So I, I think that it is uh, time to reevaluate the the medical staff, and that's uh, best wishes for Terod Taylor to get better. I don't know if Justin Herbert is going to cede this job back to Taylor this season, and I do think that this is probably a benefit. I think that. Chargers, pass catchers are beneficiaries here. We saw Austin Eckler. We saw Keenan Allen have good games. Hunter Henry had good games in both quarterbacks. But Keenan Allen, definitely stock improved. And Austin Eckler, for sure. I just think the whole Chargers offense in general just had a much better game against the Chiefs than they did against the Bengals. And we've only seen one start with both quarterbacks. And the offense just looked much more potent especially from a fantasy perspective, with Justin Herbert at quarterback. And this is a great situation for Herbert in week three because he gets the Carolina Panthers. And what better way to improve a young, raw quarterback's confidence than facing the Panthers at home? So you're going to want your starting charge— excuse me, you're going to want your chargers in the starting lineup this week, even with Herbert at quarterback. So last bit of news here, Richie Incognito. Left guard, really good left guard, came out from came out of retirement to play with the Raiders. He had a great year last year. He is placed on short-term IR with an Achilles injury. And it's kind of odd because normally when you see an Achilles injury, it's like, okay, he tore his Achilles out for the season, right? But his is just sore. So short-term IR, that means he's missing at least three games. And John Simpson will replace him in case you wanted to know. The backup left guard for the Raiders, for trivia purposes, John Simpson there, and Josh Jacobs also with the Raiders. He missed practice with a hip injury on Wednesday. Wednesday practices they really don't matter. I stand by that. It's all about you know Thursday. You start getting a little concerned, but Friday's what you're really concerned about for Sunday games. And I'm only mentioning this because he's my boy, of course. But obviously, and but mainly because I I mentioned that I wasn't sure what his injury was in my matchup recaps on Monday's episode when he exited Monday Night Football with that injury, and he came back shortly after the Jalen Richard fumble. But now we know for certain it is a hip injury. I thought it might have been a quad or something like that. I saw the trainers dealing with that general area, but I thought it was a quad issue. It is, in fact, a hip issue. So we'll watch that and see. As of now, His status for Sunday's game against the New England Patriots is not in jeopardy. But we will monitor that. Of course, I will because Josh Jacobs, you know, like I'm just in love with the guy. So let's move on to the Thursday night football game. And then I'll answer some listener questions. Miami Dolphins at Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags are favored by three. And can you believe that the Jacksonville Jaguars have a legitimate chance to go 2-1 after three games? I mean, the Saints could be 1-2 and two if they lose to the Packers, which they very well could. And the Jacksonville Jaguars could be 2-1. and one. I mean, what kind of world are we living in right now where the Jaguars are going to have a better record potentially than the Saints after three games? And some people were predicting 0-16. For the lowly Jaguars. Many thought they tank. I thought they'd tank. And they still can. But they better be careful here. Or they're going to actually play themselves out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Almost like Miami did with Tua Tungavailoa last year. But tonight's game. Dolphins-Jaguars on the surface. Not a huge game for fantasy football. Not a ton of fantasy stars here. Or even every week starters. To be honest. For fantasy football. And Gardner Minshew. Probably the best start in this game. And Minshew has had a great start to the season. Three touchdowns in both games that he's played so far. And Miami is two for two on allowing big days to opposing quarterbacks. Cam Newton in week one. Josh Allen ripped them in week two. And last week, Miami lost top cornerback Byron Jones after a few snaps in that game. And he is doubtful for this game, very unlikely to play. And Josh Allen just tore them apart after Byron Jones exited. I mean, they just he just went to work with Stephon Diggs against their, their nickel corners, their, their first-round rookie Noah and Nick Needham. And Stephon Diggs just kind of took them to school in Week 2. And I'm just looking at the quarterback list right now I'm trying to figure out where to slot Gardner Minshew because you're not playing him over Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Russ Wilson, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers. And I also think I'd probably play Big Ben Roethlisberger against Houston in that tasty matchup over Gardner Minshew. But am I playing Minshew over Deshaun Watson at Pitt? Yeah, yeah, probably so. As crazy as that sounds. I don't have Watson on any of my teams. But but Stafford at Arizona, I think Kenny Galladay is going to return in that game. I think I'd likely lean Stafford there. Brady at Denver. I think Brady's just, I mean, not Brady is ravaged by injuries, but Denver is. And Chris Godwin's coming back. I'd probably play Brady there. I thought Brady was a lot better last week than the stats indicated. He had two drop touchdowns in that game. He could have easily thrown for three touchdowns in that game. And there was also a situation where there was three rushing touchdowns for the Bucks last week. So Brady at Denver, i probably like him a little more than Minshew tonight. And then Joe Burrow at Philadelphia, that's kind of a toss-up for me. I'd probably lean Minshew there. I don't know. That's pretty close. Rivers versus the New York Jets. That's kind of a toss up for me, too. But but overall, I'm a little lower on Minshew. I I think this is a cupcake matchup, but there's still a little bit of a lack of trust there. If you can't tell part of me thinks that there's going to be an ugly game between two bad teams. And the other part of me thinks that their defenses are just so bad that this could be a sneaky shootout between just two horrible defenses. And Mintu could definitely go out there and throw his usual three touchdowns, maybe even four touchdowns. He could just totally shut me up. But I have him around quarterback 13, 14 this week. And I kind of have him there just kind of every week. I think that he's a great backup quarterback who's definitely streamable in good matchups like this. And he's just an every week start in superflex for sure, regardless of matchup, in my opinion, just because of the way his offense just sets up. I mean, he's a gamer when he starts trailing. So, definitely a hold in one quarterback leagues. I think that he's on the cusp of quarterback one territory, the cusp of top 12, a little behind that, I would say, this week. Uh, But no issues if you want to start him tonight. I don't think I would force him in my lineups just because he's hot and he had a, you know, he's got a hot start and this is a nice matchup. But yeah, definitely open to playing him for sure. His target distribution in week one and two leaves a lot to be desired. Like he's spreading the ball around big time. It's really annoying if you drafted DJ Chark, whose seven targets for the entire season make up only a 12% target share. And that is suboptimal, especially because one of the reasons to draft DJ Chark high was because we thought that the target share would be huge. I thought that. And we also thought, I also thought that with this team trailing so often, the volume would also be huge for DJ Chark. But Minshew has gotten Keelan Cole more involved, LaVisca Chenault, there's Tyler Eifert, Chris Conley. It's just pretty unfortunate there. And, and it's even tougher of a situation because DJ Chark is questionable for this game. According to Tom Pellicero of NFL Network, he's trending towards playing. But you'll need to monitor that as it gets close to the kickoff and be able to make the change if he's ruled inactive an hour an, an hour and a half before the game and I'm starting DJ Chark this week if he is active, and I do have him on my rosters. I think Byron Jones being out helps him big time, and he's just the best receiver on this team, and I feel like he's just kind of due for a strong performance. But I'm definitely monitoring the injury reports. Like if it comes out that he's only going to be limited or playing X amount of snaps or be on a pitch count or whatever, then I'm probably sitting him. You know, I don't want to take that chance that he's just a decoy out there or that he bows out early. And if you do start him, Just remember to play him in the wide receiver spot and not the flex. And and that stuff matters. Like that applies for all skill positions, by the way. You know, make sure that you're playing your running back in the running back spot and wide receiver in the wide receiver spot for the Thursday night football games. And the reason you want to do that real quickly is because it allows for flexibility later on in the week. Like if things unexpected happen. Like for example, let's say you place DJ Chark in your flex instead of the wide receiver spot. And you presumably have two wide receivers ready to go in those two wide receiver spots, and that's why you played him in the flex. Well, if one is Will Fuller, and Will Fuller gets hurt in warm-ups like he tends to do, very possible there. I mean, that's not even like a hypothetical situation, right? But but let's say like Devontae Adams gets ruled out, like he's supposed to play now, but let's say he gets ruled out. Then you're forced to play a wide receiver in place of them because it's the wide receiver spots rather than having the flexibility to play either a running back or wide receiver and maybe running back is the next best option for you on your team so it's just going to be very annoying when the next best play is a running back on your bench and you can't play them simply because you've locked dj chark into your flex you don't have that flexibility pun intended of course so that's why you kind of play somebody on thursday night football at, you know, if they're a wide receiver, you play them at wide receiver. If they're a running back, you play them at running back, you play them in their traditional positional spots on Thursday night football and not the flex. And that may be fantasy football 101 to you. You may have known that for years already, but it's a new season. The season's still young. You may have forgotten. And some people who are listening may not know that. You may be a casual player. You may not realize that strategical advantage and you don't want to get burned. And I want listeners listening to this podcast being the smartest fantasy managers they possibly can. And there's no dumber way to start out your week than having a guy that you intend to start and putting them in the flex. But anyway, Keelan Cole for very deep leagues, he's more attractive as a PPR option. He's kind of a possession target for this receive uh, for this team. He's more attractive DJ Chark sits, but he's only really an option for deep leagues if Chark plays. And same for LaVisca Chennault. And Chenault is definitely a stash. I think more so in 12-team formats than Keelan Cole. And I'm probably not starting LaVisca Chenault unless it's like a 14-team league, maybe 16-team league. I like that he was used at running back last week a little bit. And I think his role increases as the season goes on. But with a lack of volume, you know, I, I'm again, he's probably best used for 14, 16-teams. I do think he's a hold in 12s. Tyler Eifert. I actually think he's kind of borderline for 12 team rosters. I do think Tyler Eifert should be rostered in 14 team leagues. He's quietly had a decent start to the season. Jacksonville running game, it goes through James Robinson. 17 touches, 19 touches in his first two weeks. And this is a pretty nice spot for James Robinson. This may be one of the games, the only games where Jacksonville is favored all year. And they may have a positive game script here. So they may be, be leading in the second half and not trailing. So Robinson, who's gotten off to hot starts in both weeks and then kind of teetered off in the fourth quarter, he definitely warrants flex consideration, especially because he might not be faded in the fourth quarter. He might be used more if the Jaguars do have the lead that they're expected to per Vegas. But again, when I play, say flex consideration, I don't mean start in the flex. I mean, make sure it's in the running back spot, of course, I mean that ideally you'd have two running backs on your team that you'd play ahead of James Robinson. So you consider Robinson in your flex normally over maybe some wide receivers. But with all the running back injuries, a lot of people actually don't have that luxury, and Robinson's actually their clear running back too. And I think that's fine tonight. Like I really do. I think he could have 100 total yards and a possible touchdown in this game. And I definitely think Robinson is a top 24 running back play of the week. So, in most situations, he should be in starting lineups. For the Dolphins, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he brought Fitzmagic back last week, mainly in garbage time. I think he's a worse real life quarterback than fantasy for sure, but that's okay, right? Fantasy points are all that really matters. And you can make the case for streaming Fitzmagic tonight, probably not in single quarterback leagues, but definitely in super flex leagues. But just because the Jags' pass defense has been just torn up by Phillip Rivers in week one. Rivers 3 for over 350 yards in that game. And Ryan Tannehill last week, four passing touchdowns in week two against the, the Jaguars defense. And I wouldn't even be surprised if Fitzpatrick actually outproduces Minshew in the game. Like, I think that's a little closer to a 50-50 proposition than a lot of Minshew lovers may want to hear. But Mike Jasicki, huge breakout game last week. Definitely a sleeper on my draft guide, which I was really happy about his breakout performance last week. Eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Some of it was due to game flow. The touchdown particularly was late in garbage time, but he was Fitzpatrick's go-to guy against a Bills team missing both their starting linebackers. So you can make the argument that Jasicki's breakout game was very situational, especially considering his opening game only 40 yards, but consider that was against the New England Patriots. So Jasicki's had a pretty tough matchup to open the season, then he's had a favorable matchup against the Bills missing their linebackers. But Evan Silva at establishedtherun.com he laid out a very strong case for playing Mike Jasicki this week. He says, as enemy tight ends have caught 13 of 15 targets for 198 yards and 13.2 yards per target and two touchdowns against the Jaguars this season. And this is a cupcake draw for Miami's locked-in tight end one. And then among tight ends, only Jared Cook owns a higher air yards share with 37.6% than Jasicki's at 31.2%. So among all tight ends, only Jared Cook, higher air yard share than Jasicki. And Jasicki also leads the entire league in targets inside the 10-yard line, which is something I did not know. He's had four targets inside the 10. So great analysis there by Silva as usual. And I liked Jasicki. As a sleeper going into the year, and I'm not getting off the train now in this matchup, I think he's absolutely a top 12 tight end play. I think the only tight ends i probably play over him this week are Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, Jared Cook, Zach Ertz, Evan Ingram, maybe Tyler Higby, maybe Johnu Smith, maybe Noah Fant. I think Jasicki's right in that range with the last three guys I mentioned. But I do think I would start Jasicki over Dallas Goddard, over T.J. Hawkinson, over Hayden Hurst. Just above them in that range. It's close. I mean, they're all kind of bunched together. But, yeah, that's kind of how I see Jasicki in terms of starting, uh, if you want my honest opinion there. Uh, I don't love that slot receiver Isaiah Ford is getting so many targets. He's had 14 targets in two games. But Jasicki is the big slot there. That's where he's lining up. I think it hurts the outlooks more of Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, who had very tough matchups against the New England Patriots and Buffalo Bills to open the season. They have great outside corners, but I still don't think I have the stones to play really either in this matchup, uh, both Preston Williams or Parker. Uh, they're both kind of bench players to me. Parker still maybe dealing with a hamstring injury at 50 yards last week, and it looked pretty promising, but I probably likely stashed them on my bench until one is becoming more of a clear-cut target. There's just not a lot that we've seen so far this season that you could justify playing them even in the soft matchup, unless, of course, you are desperate and maybe ravaged by injuries there. At running back, this is a three-way running back by committee with Miles Gaskin leading the way. And Gaskin, kind of a good story here, seventh-round pick. And also a good story on the other side, uh, James Robinson, undrafted free agent, ends up being the reason that Leonard Fournette was shipped out because they just had so much confidence in James Robinson. So pretty cool stories tonight with the running backs here, with Gaskin, with James Robinson, but also with the quarterbacks, Gardner Minshew, Ryan Fitzpatrick, also, you know, not exactly heralded stars, highly recruited, you know, highly drafted stars in this league. So just a bunch of scrubs, I shouldn't say scrubs. It's a bunch of under-the-radar players who have overcome the odds, even if they are considered just kind of scrubs in for mostly for fantasy football purposes. But Miles Gaskin played 65% of the snaps and had 13 touches and seven targets last week against the Bills. However, Jordan Howard, the clear goal line vulture there, like that's his only role in this team is to play in short yardage situations. So that's kind of a buzz kill. If the Dolphins do get in the red zone, they're likely or near the end zone. They're likely putting Jordan Howard in and Matt Breida is also mixed in there as well. I don't think Howard and Breda should be rostered in 12-teamers. I don't think it's worth it. Gaskin probably should. I think he's more of a stash, though. It, it, this is a game where he could take over lead duties. You can root for Miles Gaskin if you have him on your bench. Like You can hope he has that good game where he takes over the lead back against this lowly Jaguars defense, and you can hope that he gains value. But he's really just a desperation play. Like, I don't advise starting him unless you absolutely have to. And, and by the way, I think this concept is something that a lot of fantasy managers don't really grasp or they don't really follow well. Like fantasy football, pretty emotional game. But when you sit a player, like when you bench a player that week, you should still be rooting for a good game from that player on your bench. And I get that it's an emotional game. I guess that that's a hard – it's easier said than done, right? Like it's totally tilting when somebody on your bench has a great game – and somebody at the same position in your starting lineup like has a total dud of performance, like two points. And you're just totally peeved at that. But most of the time, people who go off on your bench, you honestly weren't considering starting anyway, right? Like if it really comes down to it, you know, gun to the head, if somebody asks you, were you really actually going to start them? Or are you just actually mad that they scored points on your bench? That It's usually the case. You're just mad that they're on your bench. Like if Deshaun Jackson goes off for 25 points this week, but you're starting two wide receivers or like Amari Cooper – and Devontae Adams, and they just happened to suck that week. You know, there's really no reason to be that mad. You weren't realistically playing Deshaun Jackson over them anyway, and it's actually good news, and that's my argument here. It's actually good news because it raises the level of Deshaun Jackson tremendously if he has a 25-point game because now not only do you know if he's capable of that because he hasn't done it yet this year, but you know that you roster someone capable of a huge game, and you can use that knowledge – for for two reasons. You can use it to plug him in into his future starting lineups, like in your flex or something like that, or you can use him as an asset as like a trade piece. Because overall it's a good thing that Deshaun Jackson has gone off on your bench because it raises his value. I don't know why I said volume. Value. It raises his value there. And that's not a bad thing. So the point of all this, I know a lot of listeners may be stashing Miles Gaskin. And if he goes off for like hundred and touch out of nowhere, You know, you should not be pissed off that, you know, I told you you should probably sit him. You should not be pissed off that he's just on your bench if you weren't really considering starting him anyway. You should actually be ecstatic because for his future prospects, it's not sad that he's on your bench. You likely weren't going to start him anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I actually enjoy rooting for the players on my team, who, whether on their bench, whether on my bench or not, because I want the players on my team's values to be raised so I can consider playing them later. Or I consider trading them. I want the players, all players on my team to be good. And that's the concept I'm trying to argue, like whether they're bench or not. I want every player on my team to be as good as possible. I want them all to have great weeks. The only scenario where it just kind of stings is when you're like actually legitimately honest to God. You know, you're 50-50 on deciding between two players, like all week, like it's a coin toss, you just can't decide, and you pick wrong, and then you actually lose your head-to-head matchup directly because of that decision. Yeah, that sucks, but that's just fantasy football, right? Like That's just part of it. Either way, when somebody on your bench goes off, that that situation I just named is actually more rare than people realize. Most times when someone goes off on your bench, you weren't really considering playing them anyway. Like You may have thought about it briefly, but you were probably like, nah, better not. Anyway, let's get to three listener questions here today. All right, we got three listener questions here. As a reminder, you can submit your questions on my website, fantasylawguy.com. There's a spot to ask your fantasy football questions. I'll answer the best ones on the show. And today we have three of them. And this first one is from Andrew Alexander at the other AA, which is a very Very creative handle. I actually love that, honestly. But the other AA, he asked, he says, I was just offered either Odell Beckham or Austin Eckler straight up for Christian McCaffrey. And for context, other receivers I have, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Cooper Cup, and other running backs I have, Leonard Fournette, Devin Singletary, and Tevin Coleman. Would you make the trade? If so, who for McCaffrey? That's an excellent question. Andrew Alexander, and I think that I'm I'm actually getting a lot, I don't think, I know I'm getting a lot of questions about what they should do with Christian McCaffrey, whether it's about whether I should spend the fab money on Mike Davis or whether it's about, hey, a lot of people are trying to buy low on Christian McCaffrey. Should I execute that trade? Like your question. And I'm also getting questions on the other end. Should I buy low for Christian McCaffrey? Should I make an offer to the Christian McCaffrey manager? But my answer to this question is I would probably make the deal. For Austin Eckler. And I love that you provided context in the questions. Because it because it honestly answers the question for me. Because seeing that you're running backs. Lynn Fournette. Probably the only one that I like going forward. But Devin Singletary. Not a fan of. Never been a fan of. Or at least I was last year. But not this year. Uh, Devin Singletary. Not somebody that I'm high on. And Kevin Coleman. Is useless right now in fantasy football. With the injury. The knee injury that he's just, just sustained. He's going to miss multiple weeks. So. You have a huge void at running back, too. Like it's just a total barren wasteland. And unless you end up getting like Mike Davis or somebody in free agency, even if you got Freeman, you can't play him this week. So unless you got Mike Davis, I mean, you are vacant at RB2. And I don't think you can afford to wait four to six weeks at playing Devin Singletary at running back. I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, I think it was Tuesday's podcast, that the waiver wire pod, that Carolina is not good. Carolina stinks. So right now they're winless, but if 3 weeks passes cuz that's the earliest Christian McCaffrey can come back is week 6. But let's say by week 6 they've played 5 games. Let's say they're 1 and 4 or let's say they're 0 oh and 5 by the time that McCaffrey is eligible to come back. What is rushing Carolina to play Christian McCaffrey? What's rushing him them back on the field? They just paid him. So why would they want to rush their star coming off this high angle screen back onto the field when they're 0 oh and 5? Their season's over anyway. They might be starting to tank at that point. They might be thinking about Trevor Lawrence at that point. You know, you don't know. I think the Panthers are likely going to be 1-4, 0-5 at that point. So you can just take that for what you will. But let's say even if he, you know, beats the timetable, he's returning right after the three weeks, and he's ready to go in week six. It's not that players just all of a sudden when they return are 100% coming back from these high ankle sprains. Players take a certain amount of time to get back onto the field but then they need more time to get to 100%. And that's two different things. Two different concepts there. Like McCaffrey might push to play in week six. But that doesn't mean he's going to be his same old prime 100% Christian McCaffrey. And we saw that with Saquon Barkley last year with his high ankle sprain. Saquon Barkley went down, well, I think it was week three. I know it was against the Bucks, But I'm pretty sure it was week three where he sustained his high ankle sprain. Saquon Barkley returned after a few weeks. But he didn't start dominating again until like week 15 when he just went on a total tear week 15 through week 17. It took him that long, like week 3 to week 15, before he was dominating, putting up, putting up you know stud RB1 numbers again. And everybody's different, but this kind of injury can sap explosiveness, especially for a running back who's predicated on his quickness. So yeah, I would make the deal for Austin Eckler, who I think stock is rising now with Justin Herbert at quarterback. And also, another one thing to consider, just kind of last tidbit on this, Andrew, is that if you're a team that you're just stacked otherwise, other than maybe your RB2 situation, and maybe you're 2-0 and already, or maybe you just make the playoffs every year, and you're just not worried about missing the playoffs, maybe it's like six teams out of 10 make the playoffs, and you're you're comfortable with your 2-0 start or whatever, that you can make the playoffs in this league without upgrading your running back to situation or was playing, you know, a a possible free agent or Devin Singletary there for the next four to six weeks. And you just want Christian McCaffrey back for that postseason run. Then, yeah, maybe you should hold tight. Maybe you should keep Christian McCaffrey because once McCaffrey is 100%, of course, he's going to be more valuable than Austin Eckler. But if you are maybe 0-2, 1-1, and this is a tough competitive league and your best running back right now, to start every week is Devin Singletary, and you have no running backs for the flex options. Then yeah, I would probably make this move for Austin Eckler. And I got I got a similar question from Wade Longmire, who was the guest on our show, great guest on our show last week. We'll have him on in future episodes. But Wade sent, shot me a text. He said, "Hey, should I make a deal? Somebody offered me Clyde Edwards-Elair for Christian McCaffrey. Should I take that? I should take that deal, right?" And I was like, "Yes, you should immediately take that deal." Of course, you should take that deal. McCaffrey is going to be missing the next four to six weeks, and even when he comes back, he might not be totally healthy. I just I just mentioned all this, but Clyde edwards E'Laire is a top six fantasy asset right now. If somebody offers you like Miles Sanders or Clyde edwards E'Laire or Aaron Jones or even Dalvin Cook, honestly, for Christian McCaffrey, you take it without you know in a heartbeat. You take that before they even offer it. Like you just you make sure you get something like that done. Like if you were the Christian McCaffrey manager and somebody offers you even Jonathan Taylor, I mean there's a number of different players. I would do it for DeAndre Hopkins. If the draft happened today, I'll put it this way. If fantasy football draft happened today knowing what we know, Christian McCaffrey would not be in my first round. And that may sound crazy to you, but fantasy football is a week to week game. You're he's missing the next at least the next 3 weeks at least. I think it's going to be 4 to 6 weeks as the initial timetable set. And it's no guarantee that he's going to be fully healthy when it he comes back. So why would I be taking him in the first round? Of course there's 12 other players in fantasy football I prefer than Christian McCaffrey. So I'd be very cautious buying low on McCaffrey. I would think it's a it's a situation where you know you're going to make the playoffs and you just want him for the stretch run or it's a situation where, you know, you're buying really low, right? And and if you have Christian McCaffrey in your team, and somebody offers you a top 12 player, yeah, I would take it like in a heartbeat. And if you specifically want to know any questions, again, I'm at Fantasy Law Guy on my social media handles, on Instagram, Twitter, you can uh, hit me up with those questions. Uh, all right, moving on to the next question, Brooks Boswell. He, asks, he says, I just lost Drew Locke as my second quarterback in a super flex league. My third quarterback is Sam Darnold. There are no starting quarterbacks in free agency. Someone asked if I would entertain trading Joe Mixon, and he has James Conner and Russell Wilson on his team, would you trade Joe Mixon for either Russell Wilson or James Conner? And if so, which one? Uh, The answer is yes, I would. First of all, not only would I probably trade Mixon for both James Conner or Wilson, but I don't know. The James Conner situation is close. I could see that being both ways. I think James Conner is riskier because he's more likely, obviously, to get hurt But I do think James Conner has higher upside than Joe Mixon just in the offense. I mean, we've talked at length about Joe Mixon's struggles to open the season. So, yeah, I would probably just slightly prefer James Conner, all things considered. Although, just know that if you make that deal, that could turn on you on a dime, right? Like that could immediately be a bad decision. So if you want to just hold tight with Mixon, then that's fine. Or maybe you can try to say, hey, Mixon, I know he's had a slow start, but James Conner kind of has too. Maybe I'll do Mixon- if you give me, maybe I'll give you Mixon. If you trade me James Conner and like a startable receiver, then yeah, then that seems like a good trade. I would actually do the trade for Russ Wilson though. I really would, and I know that sounds kind of backwards from traditional fantasy football leagues where you start one quarterback. And it's like, oh, how could you trade your second round, maybe late first round pick for Joe Mixon for Russ Wilson? But listen to the situation here, guys. I mean, I mean, or Brooks, this is a situation where you are playing Sam Darnold at quarterback every week until Drew Locke returns, or you're getting potentially the MVP of the league. So of course I would trade Mixon in his slow start for Russ Wilson, who literally might be the MVP of the NFL. I mean, they are letting Russ cook. He is Mr. Unlimited. Yes, I want Russell Wilson on my team. Yes, I would trade Joe Mixon for Russ Wilson in a super flex league, especially when, especially when your backup quarterback right now is Sam Darnold. And you didn't mention who your backup running backs were. That's another factor right there. Like, if you have no other running back to play other than Joe Mixon, then yeah, maybe I may hold on to Joe Mixon there. But I don't think I'd be able to pass up on getting Russ Wilson right now, especially after we've seen what Mixon has done in the first two weeks. And I'm not saying this is doomsday for Mixon. I'm sure Mixon's numbers are going to pick up. But, I mean, Russ Wilson, I mean, come on. I mean, this guy is going to – he could potentially throw for 40 touchdowns this year, and he could be the NFL's MVP. I mean, it's definitely within the realm of possibility that he has a Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson-like season, and he's done it so far. I mean, you saw how he ripped up the New England Patriots defense, and that, that's a great defense. So, all right, moving on to the third question here, and that is, uh, all they said was team name Odell No. Or I think it's Odell No instead of Oh Hell No. But, but okay, it's a good team name. But this person asked, I went... Or I spent my top waiver claim on Naeem Hines last week. What should I do with Hines now, keep or cut? And the top running back available is Peyton Barber in my free agency. Okay, to answer that question, uh, I'm going to say you should not pick up Peyton Barber for Naeem Hines. I think that the Naeem Hines situation is—it was surprising to me last week that he only— saw like nine snaps and like one target and no rushing attempts, I thought it was going to be more of a tandem situation with Jonathan Taylor. And I apologize if you made that move based on my recommendation saying that, yeah, I think Hines is going to stay relevant. And I think Hines is going to catch 75 passes this year. I'm actually sticking to that. I think Naeem Hines is going to – I'm going to stick to my bold prediction there. I think he's going to catch 75 balls this year. It sounds like he's not going to be used much in the rushing game now that they have Taylor. But, that was a horrible game script situation. Horrible game flow for Naeem Hines last week where the Colts easily just were winning that, that game from the get-go. The Vikings just were no threat whatsoever. They won with their running game of defense. There are going to be games where Phillip Rivers needs to put the ball in the air more. And Naeem Hines is going to be a benefit beneficiary there. Keep in mind that this team just lost wide receiver Paris Campbell for indefinitely with the knee injury. So, I think that Naim Hines, after T.Y. Hilton, is right up there with like Michael Pittman, honestly, is their preferred second or third pass catcher on this team for obvious passing downs. So I think he's going to be used more in a rotation. At least he's going to be the primary passing down back. But last week, they just didn't need a passing down back. I mean, they won like 26 to three or 26 to seven or something crazy like that. So. They just didn't need Hines last week. And I know it just kind of sucks having a game-flow-dependent running back. Like, he's just so one-dimensional. But I think you can look at the Colts' schedule pretty comfortably and just say, okay, well, maybe I can plug Naeem Hines as a flex option this week or as an RB2 in a full-point PPR league, knowing that he's going to get a lot of catches if the Colts are going to be trailing or if this is going to be a competitive game. So we'll see in Week 3. But I don't think that the usage that we saw in Week 2 – with Jonathan Taylor just dominating the game script. Like, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think Jonathan Taylor's is total stud. I think he's going to be a top five. I think he's a top five fantasy football asset going forward. And Hines isn't going to get much rushing, rushing work. But it is a full-point PPR league. I do think Hines is going to catch a fair amount of passes this season to where he's usable as a flex. So I would not cut him, especially if the best available free agent running back is Peyton Barber. You should at least hold Hines another week or two and see if – Jonathan Taylor is still going to get, you know, 99 or 95 percent of the running back touches, which I don't think will happen. I think it'll be closer to 80, 20 or maybe even 75, 25, depending on just game flow each week. Okay, let's end the show with a fantasy nugget of the show. And today's Fantasy Nugget of the Day, there's actually two of them because they are related. The first one comes from J.J. Zacharyson at Late Round Quarterback. Players with at least a 30% target share in each of the first two weeks of the season. Adam Thielen and Deontay Johnson. And this next one comes from Heath Cummings of CBS Sports Fantasy Football. He says, players who saw double-digit targets in each of their first two games. Calvin Ridley and Deontay Johnson. What's the common denominator there by Deontay Johnson? He was my number one buy low on last week's show. And I'll hit you up with some more buy lows on tomorrow's show. But yeah, Deontay Johnson, the real deal. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button. Give a positive rating or review. I would really appreciate that. Good luck in week two. If you have any Thursday night action tonight, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.